Now Naomi had a kinsman of her husband, a man of great wealth, of the family of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Please let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain, after one in whose sight I may find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she departed and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, May the Lord be with you. And they said to him, May the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his servant, who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? The servant in charge of the reapers replied, She is the young Moabite woman who returned with Naomi from the land of Moab. And she said, Please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. Thus she came and has remained from the morning until now. She has been sitting in the house for a little while. All right, so enter another character here, Boaz. What do we know about him? He's rich and he's a relative. Yes, exactly. And Ruth tells Naomi, let me go and glean in the field. Now, what was gleaning? Picking up the leftovers. Yes. It was, you know, an honest way of getting some food. God had specifically told farmers in the Old Testament not to harvest the corners of their field, not to go back a second time to, you know, find whatever grain they hadn't found the first time, not to pick up things they dropped. God was leaving some stuff in the field for gleaners, for poor people who had nothing, who could go and pick up some things to eat. It would remind you, I think, of somebody today who maybe tries to eke out survival by picking up cans alongside the road and selling them. Something like that. It's an honorable occupation, but it's a lot of work and you're not going to get much out of it, but it's better than nothing if you're hungry. That kind of a thing. So Ruth decides to go gleaning, see if she can find some food for them. And, well, where does she end up? In Boaz's field. Did you notice how it said it in verse 3? You know, in my translation, and she happened to come to the portion of the field belonging to Boaz. Maybe you have something that says, by chance, she came to Boaz's field. Well, wonder how that happened. I personally think that it was Providence. That, that's what I think. I think so. Uh, so, the narrator here is almost winking at us. You know, she happened to come to Boaz's field. Now, from her standpoint, she had no idea who Boaz was. She had no idea it was Boaz's field. From her standpoint, it was just kind of, that's where she happened onto. But we know God is the one in charge of events. Nothing happens by accident. So I think by saying she happened onto that, we're really, you know, it's almost ironic, you know, that's underplaying this. Yeah, I wonder why she happened to do that. You remember how it was in the book of Esther. <laughs> Everything so happens, but it's like, there couldn't be that many coincidences, you know, in anybody's life to lead to things like that. So, she ends up in Boaz's field reaping. Boaz, is, Boaz gets there and like, who's she? I suppose there were regular gleaners that would go to somebody's field, and he didn't recognize her. And the servant says, oh, she's that young Moabite who came back with Naomi. I'm guessing 
that like people were talking about her and and he'd know who that was from that and he says she's asked to glean and she's remained from morning until now so she's been working hard at gleaning and she asked permission she went she did everything right and this is who she is comments and questions it's close he belies his character and that he's he notices these low people a lot of people would just pass him by and it's like, oh, yeah, those people, I wish that they didn't, weren't able to be out there taking my stuff. But he takes interest in them and that he knows the regulars and he knows who's new and then he takes interest to find out about them. That's cool. Excellent point. I agree. I like Boaz. Okay. 8 to 13. Actually, 8 to 16. Let's do that. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go and glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young woman. Keep your, let your eyes be on the field that, uh, that they are weeping, and do not go, and go after them. <clears throat> Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? When you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. And she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes? That you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner. But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and, uh, and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and passed, uh, they, he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she arose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. Okay. So, uh, Boaz talks to her. He says, first of all, you stay in my field and glean. Not just today, but regularly. You know, I've told my servants not to do anything to you. When you're thirsty, you can go to the water jars they drink out of and get something to drink. I mean, that's really unusual privileges, protection, generosity. And Ruth is like, wow, I mean... She's overwhelmed. I'm a foreigner and you're treating me this way? Why have you even noticed me? And what's Boaz's answer? Because of what you did Everybody's been talking about I know what you did. I know what you gave up. I know your loyalty to her. And so Boaz is eager to bless her because of her kindness to her mother-in-law. And in fact, in verse 12, he says, May the Lord reward your work and your wages be full from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to seek refuge. He's praying that God will really shelter her, protect her, and provide for her. I think this is Boaz's prayer wish for Ruth. You know, may the Lord shelter you under his wings and take care of you. Remember that prayer wish of Boaz's. Ruth is humble and just amazed. And she's really conscious of being a foreigner. And, and so she really feels 
maybe insecure. She was probably expected to get mistreated, expecting to get mistreated, but she's been blessed. And uh, she just gets, you know, privileges that go way beyond the normal rights of a gleaner. In 14, Boaz invites her to partake of the noon meal. He ensures her safety from any kind of of being picked on by other uh, servants that would be out there working in the field. And then, of all things, he says, I want you to pull some grain out and intentionally drop it behind you for her to find and glean. I mean, what gleaner or what, what farmer, you know, landowner would ever have done that? Boaz seems to have been really moved by Ruth's, uh, you know, model of kindness, and he is determined to do everything possible to help her and through her to help Naomi. So you appreciate Boaz, you appreciate him recognizing, you know, Ruth's character and caring about her and caring about her, uh, his, you know, deceased uh, relative's uh, ex-wife. Um, so all of that, I think, speaks really well of Boaz's character, and it's just amazing to Ruth that he is treating her this way. Thoughts and comments? Does Boaz know she's relative? Yes, she doesn't. But yes, Boaz knows that that Naomi was the wife of his relative Elimelech. And how were they? I don't think it says had a kinsman of her husband in 2-1. He wasn't the closest kinsman. We know that from chapter 4. So I don't know exactly how he was related. So, wow, she gleans all day, and she beats it out, and wow, she was diligent, and Boaz was generous, and she just got a lot, probably enough in a single day to last her and Naomi for weeks. It bordered on being too much for her to even carry, a whole, a whole ephah of barley, you know, a huge uh, basket of it. And she took it to her mother-in-law, and Naomi saw it. And she's like, where did you glean today? (laughs) You know, who took notice of you and blessed you? She had received so much. And uh, this is really, there's some ironies in this. 
She says, the name of the man with whom I work today is Boaz. Now, we know some things about this. We already knew it was Boaz, and we already knew who Boaz was. But Ruth knows it was Boaz, but she doesn't know who Boaz is. Naomi knows who he is, but she has no idea that it was Boaz Ruth was in the field of. So when she says... That, that the name of the man who I worked in the field of is Boaz, then Naomi is like, may he be blessed of the Lord who has not withdrawn his kindness to the living and the dead. The man is one of our closest relatives. Oh, wow, isn't that... Man, suddenly things start clicking in Naomi's head. The abundant harvest, it was Boaz that provided generously. He's one of the closest relatives. And suddenly that brings all sorts of things into play. Because there's the role of the relative that's all behind the rest of the plot in this book. And that's something that I think we often don't understand very well or don't think about a whole lot. So we need to look back for a moment at what it could mean that Boaz was such a close relative. Look back at Leviticus 25. There were some um, laws about what close relatives were supposed to do. Now look at, we'll just read a a few verses here, here, there, yonder. But Leviticus 25, 25. If a fellow countryman of yours becomes so poor he has to sell part of his property then his nearest kinsman is to come and buy back what his relative has sold. Now there's one responsibility of a close relative. You had to mortgage or sell your property. The closest relative is supposed to buy it back and give it to you. So one responsibility of the kinsman was to redeem forfeited property. Now look at Leviticus 25.47. Now if the means of a stranger or of a sojourner with you become sufficient and a countryman of yours becomes so poor with regard to him as to sell himself to a stranger who's a sojourner who is sojourning with you or to the descendants of a stranger's family then he shall have redemption right after he's been sold. One of his brothers may redeem him, or his uncle, or his uncle's son may redeem him, or one of his blood relatives from his family may redeem him, or if he prospers, he may redeem himself. So if you got poor and you had to sell yourself as a slave, the responsibility of the close kinsman would be to buy you back from that person and recover your freedom. So the the close relative was to redeem the, the freedom of somebody who sold themselves into slavery. And then, what is probably better known is like Deuteronomy chapter 25, um, which uh, in verse uh, 5, when brothers live together, Deuteronomy 25, 5, when brothers live together and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the deceased shall not be married Outside the family for a strange man, her husband's brother shall go into her and take her to himself as wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. It shall be that the firstborn whom she bears shall assume the name of his dead brother so that his name will be bl- not be blotted out from Israel. 
So, the other role of the close kinsman is to marry the widow, and the first son is considered to be the son of the dead one, to carry on the family name and to inherit the family property. So, the kinsman redeemer redeems the forfeited property, redeems the freedom of his enslaved kinsman, and is responsible to marry the widow and raise up descend, a descendant for the deceased relative. Those were three roles of the kinsman redeemer. That all are, they, they, this is a very significant thing in the story of Boaz and Ruth. Now that's not so like everyday stuff for us. So, do you want to ask or talk about that somewhat? When you look back here at Ruth chapter 2, notice uh, verse 21, Then Ruth the Moabite said, Furthermore he said to me, You should stay close to my servants until they've finished all my harvest. How many times? Does this book refer to Ruth as the Moabites? The author doesn't want to miss this nationality. It underscores what remarkable kindness Boaz showed to Ruth. You wouldn't expect him to do it to a Moabites. And Naomi says, this is good. Don't go anywhere else so that others do not fall upon you in another field. We might not have thought about it. But there's dangers in this era, especially for a, a single female foreigner. You would think that would be true in a lot of situations. And so she needs to be careful. Boaz will protect her. Remember also, what's the era here? The judges. How were things in the era of the judges? Not so good. There is a decent amount of violence, and uh, there's just a lot of chaos. So, gleaning in a field of somebody who can be trusted to protect her is also a good idea. This is just all lining up so well, and wonder who's behind all this. You know, if the Lord was behind the suffering, now suddenly things are starting to be... Uh, you know, provided uh, by the Lord that you wouldn't have expected. Thoughts and comments on chapter 2. The fact that she's a foreigner, does that play into it all the kinsmen redeemer? I mean, would he not be obligated since they weren't supposed to marry foreigners? Well, that brings up all kinds of questions you weren't supposed to have asked. <laughs> um, I don't think it changes it here, although let me say that I don't know that he was actually legally obligated. Even if we took the foreigner part off, he's not the closest relative, for one thing. There is a closer one. And he's not even the husband's brother. He's a relative. I think there's some of this that probably doesn't mean he is required by God to do this, but it would still be... a. You know, I mean, other kinsmen could do these things. Now, I don't know so much about the fact of her being a Moabite. Moabites in Deuteronomy 23 were not allowed in the assembly. 
but they are not mentioned in Deuteronomy 7 in the groups of people that the Israelites were not allowed to marry, although they are mentioned in Nehemiah 13 and Ezra 9 as people that they shouldn't have married in their return from the captivity. So that leaves me, leaves me a little questioning how appropriate it was marriages to Moabites. However, I think that's irrelevant because I believe Ruth is converted and I don't think there was a prohibition against marrying foreign women who were now proselytes, essentially, who were now Israelites religiously. I think that was okay. So I don't really think the question of her nationality would enter into the appropriateness of marrying, but I don't think Boaz is really obligated to discharge the role of the kinsman redeemer. I think it's just a nice thing. It would be kind of suggested or implied. Now that's that's a lot, and I may be wrong on some of those points. That's the way I see that at this point. Is there anything that says you can marry a foreigner that comes in your midst that's well, I think that's the point, and this may be debatable also, but I think in Ezra 9 and 10, you know, the Israelites had married foreign women. And, you know, Ezra's quite upset about that. He has that prayer of confession. The Israelites agree, okay, we'll do something about this. But what they do is they... Um, Let's see if I... I don't know if I can find the verse right here in Ezra 10. Um, okay, yeah. Ezra 10, 14. Ezra 10, 14. Let our leaders represent the whole assembly. Let all those in our cities who have married foreign wives come at appointed times together with the elders and judges of each city until the fierce anger of our God on account of this matter is turned away from us. They are supposed to go to the judges... And then in verse 16, the exiles did so, and Ezra the priest selected men who were heads of fathers' households for each of their fathers' households, all of them by name, so they convened on the first day of the tenth month to investigate the matter. Then they finished investigating all the men who had married foreign wives by the first day of the first month. So, all right, the idea is they weren't supposed to marry these foreign wives. But instead of just saying, get rid of them, they have like a court set up to investigate are they investigating? Are they wanting a birth certificate to see if she was born or not? I think they're investigating whether or not she has truly converted to the Lord and is no longer to be considered a foreigner or not. So I really think that it was not unlawful to marry a foreigner who has converted to, to, to the Lord. That's my position. I could be wrong about that. I would take that a little bit from Ruth here also. Um, I, I think that's okay. I think the point is not just the, the blood, but is the paganism of the foreigner. Comments and thoughts? Alright. Well, however that all is, the story is getting exciting. So, uh, Ruth chapter 3, verses 1 to 5.